Well, good morning once again. Let's just uh, take a little moment just to pray as we open God's Word this morning. And um, in your own soul and in your own spirit, um, just echo these thoughts of our prayer this morning. Father, this morning as we come to open your Word, give us ears that hear and give us eyes that see what you want to say and what you want to do in our own lives this morning, we pray. Father, give us a soul, give us a spirit that is receptive to your teaching this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again. It's nice to be with you, nice to see some nice smiley faces out there. Last night at uh, 8 o'clock, my son went from elation to desperation in a matter of minutes. And to watch that was quite... Uh, quite funny to see that in his face as we watch the football and see it transpire in front of us as Scottish football supporters. But we were there and we watched it and it was good for us as a family. But we're here this morning in church and um, you're going through the book of Acts this morning. Acts. And that's where we find ourselves today. And we're in Acts 19 verses 11 to 20. And as I read it through the week, The little title that I've given to our talk this morning is Can't Believe Your Eyes. That's what happened to us last night in those few minutes of watching the Scotland-England game. We just could not believe our eyes. But maybe as you think of that in your own life this morning, have you ever felt that at some point in life where you've said to yourself those words, I just can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Uh, maybe you've watched something uh, on TV. Um, maybe you've watched something or heard something that someone has said, maybe a kind of illusion. Or you've visited uh, one of the kind of most amazing places in the world and you've been in awe of it. And you think, wow, this is tremendous. This is amazing. I just can't believe my eyes, what I'm seeing in front of me. It's amazing. You know, last week, um, I think it was Tuesday last week, my 13-year-old daughter actually washed the dishes after dinner. (laughs) And I'm sitting there gobsmacked at this, and I just couldn't believe my eyes. And then last night after the football, my nine-year-old went for a shower without anybody having to tell him that he was smelly and disgusting. I thought to myself, I cannot believe my eyes. What about these pictures? Let me put a picture up on the screen uh, this morning and tell me what's the first thing that you see about that picture. You just can't believe your eyes, can you? Do you see a lady with three legs? Maybe, maybe not. As you're studying it, maybe you're beginning to see she's kneeling there and she's got three knees, three legs. But if you look across here, the one on the left is actually a pot. And she's holding a pot. You see? Can you see that now? Two legs, but a pot. And there. What about this next one? How many legs? You've seen that one before. How many legs does that elephant have? And as you're looking at it, you're saying, seven or six? Or is it five or four? You, you can't believe, can you, what your eyes are telling your brain or your soul this morning. What about the next one? Um... Which side is lighter? Which side is darker of that inset bar? And as you look at it, 
across the way you th I think anyway, this side is darker. Can you see that? Yeah, and this side is lighter, but actually if you take away the outside of it, it's actually the same color all the way through. What about the next one? Is it going diagonally? Is it going horizontally? And as you look at something like that on the screen with the effects of the kind of lines going up and down, you think that it's actually going at an angle. But if you take it all away, you're left with horizontal lines that go across the page. Can't believe your eyes. So we're in Acts chapter 19 this morning. And we're going to read a very remarkable portion of scripture this morning. And we will read of some amazing things that are going on in the life of Paul. Not illusions, not a performance, but real God miracles are happening there. So if you've got your Bible, open it up and find the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 11 to 20. And I think we'll probably read from verse 8 this morning just to get a little bit of context. I hope that you've picked up as you've gone through this little section of Acts that um, Acts 19, we find ourselves with Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he's in Ephesus at this point in his life. He's on his third missionary journey. And he's spending a prolonged period in Ephesus, probably around a two-year period. And we're in the midst of all of that in his life. And Luke, who writes Acts, wants us to grasp something on this passage, what life was like for Paul in that city, that great metropolis of Ephesus. So if you've got Acts 19 open in your Bibles in front of you, that's great. If not, the next slide will come up there, it's there, and we'll read it together this morning from verse 8 onwards. Let me read the word of God to you. Acts 19 verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke to boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50, 
thousand drachmas. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Amen. Let's have the next slide for us up there. What a strange little passage for us this morning. Quite a dramatic passage. And as we have read it, and as we have gleaned something from it this morning, maybe that thought comes into your mind. You just can't believe what was going on. Can't believe your eyes, can't believe your ears about the things that you've just read from God's word. But what does God want to teach us today from this little passage of scripture? That's the most important thing we want to grasp this morning. What does God want to implant into your life and my life and this little church this morning? Well, I'm going to take verse 20 today as my little text as the key text in this little passage of Scripture, where it simply says this, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So verse 20 tells us this, In this way. And as I read that, and as I've read it time and time again, just over these last few weeks or so, I naturally ask myself the question then, In what way? In what way did the word of the Lord grow in power and strength and advancement in these days? So with that little thought, I'm going to try and share with you this morning three little thoughts, three little points to help us try and understand that for ourselves. Something that we can take away and grasp and glean for ourselves today. Next slide. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is that it's so important to understand the environment understand the culture in which we live. Here in Ephesus, where we find Paul at this point in his life, we would know that Ephesus is quite a unique city. And just like all the other major cities of that day, it had its own flavor. It had its own culture. It had its own environment, how people ticked and lived in that great city of Ephesus. And Paul had traveled much. Just go back a few chapters in Acts and we would see that he's been around the block a lot. He's visited lots of places. And he's visited most of the major cities like you see on the screen there, like Athens, like Corinth. And now he finds himself here in Ephesus. Athens, for example, I wonder if you've ever visited that great city of the past of Athens, a majestic city of splendor. It was an impressive place to be with all the buildings, with all the monuments, with all the great artifacts there. But it was a city that based itself in the past. And how people lived in the present was really based on how they had lived in the past. Athens was a city that was flavored by the past. And Corinth, on the other hand, was a a very large and very bustling city. It was a commercial hub busy with all sorts of industry and things going on. It was a really busy place to be. It was probably one of those cities in those days that it was about happening. It was a place people wanted to go and to be and to be part of. Even trendy for its day. But we find ourselves this morning in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a city that kind of outshone them all probably. It had everything going for it. It was a city that was absorbed with superstition, with the magic arts, with all different kinds of religion and practices. And it had one of the most impressive temples of the day. Wherever you went in the city of Ephesus, on the skyline, 
through the streets. As you walked around, you would have seen this great temple to the goddess Diana. Everywhere you went, it dominated the skyline. So we could say that if you were an intellectual, then Athens was the place for you to be. If you were into the here and now and the material, then Corinth was the place to be. But if you were interested in the spiritual, if you were interested in the paranormal, if you were interested in the magic arts, then Ephesus was the place to be. And so Luke writes this little section in Acts for us just to give us a little flavor of what life was like for Paul. And from this little base in Ephesus that Paul finds him in, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus was going to find its base, its foundation for it to grow and to move and to go into the surrounding areas and provinces. And we see that in verse 10 and in verse 20 that we have read from our passage this morning. So it's so important for us to understand the sort of culture, the sort of environment that we live in, to grasp the kind of mindset of the people we share life with. And as you read about Paul and Acts and the journeys he went on, it does seem, as you read his journeys and read the places that he visited in Corinth and Athens and Ephesus, that he had such a, a kind of slightly different approach to every place that he went to. Slightly different approach on sharing the good news of Jesus in the cities that he visited. But let's bring it to home this morning and think about life in the UK. The further south you go, I suppose, in the UK, the more multicultural it seems to be. What is life like in Newcastle? For someone who's come from Scotland this morning to your great city of Newcastle, what makes people from the North East tick? What is it that defines people from the North East? Let's have the next slide up. And all the different things that you may be thinking about this morning um, might be up there on the screen. Or there might be something completely different that you think, that defines me as someone from the northeast of England. And as I think about that, for my situation, someone from Glasgow, someone from the west of Scotland, the things that I'm thinking about would be slightly different from the things that you are thinking about. And maybe in the mix of all the UK and all our lives this morning, Maybe there is the intellect. Maybe there is the material. And maybe there is the spiritual all in there. So it is so important that we grasp the culture and the environment we live in. And it will define how we share the unchanging good news of Jesus to those that we meet every single day. You know, I would make, and it wouldn't be sensible, would it, for me to come this morning to church and wear a Liverpool football top or a Man City top this morning and you just wouldn't get it would you if I was sharing about the good news of Jesus if I came with something that just wasn't of the culture that defines you as someone in the northeast if I said to you every now and again I actually quite like a little grass of the Newcastle brown ale then that might have said well that's he's kind of okay he's on my kind of wavelength or you might think to yourself that boy's nuts you should stay away from that stuff because it does strange things to you. You know, it's so important. And Paul recognized the culture of Ephesus and the things that made people tick. And because of that, because he could get alongside people, the word of God was able to touch and to spread and to grow in that community, in that church, in that environment, in that city. 
know, the challenge for you and for me this morning is I have no idea your culture. I have no idea your environment, where you've come from, where you're going, what journey you're on, what makes you tick, what makes you excited, what things you just get a complete turn off for. But I want to say to you this morning that the unchanging word of God that we have read this morning transcends culture, transcends environment, transcends wherever you find yourselves this morning and can make an impact in your life. The word of God can change your life this morning by absorbing it, by bringing it into your life. So that's the first point I want to share with you this morning. The second little one will come up on the screen is this. The second reason for the spread of the word of God is that in these little passages that we have read this morning together, in this little section of Acts, we see the utter commitment of a follower of Jesus who places his life and the things that he does in life for the complete use of his master. The utter devotion of Paul to the gospel, the utter devotion and commitment of Paul to the kingdom of God, the utter commitment of Paul to Jesus, the one that you and I have been singing about this morning in these songs of praise. And as you go through Acts and as you look at these kind of passages that we've read this morning, we begin to get a little understanding of how Paul behaved, how he did things in life, how he went about his daily life and his ministry. Paul is now on his third missionary journey. And he's been in Ephesus before. And he's traveled around and lots of things have happened. People have come, people have gone in Ephesus. And now he finds himself back. And he finds himself with a little church that's been started, a little house church. It meets in a home of a couple called Priscilla and Aquila. People have come, people have gone. And he's there to encourage, to share, and to develop the word of God. And from a number of passages in the New Testament, we began to glean a little bit about how Paul lived in Ephesus. And it seems to me that he paid his own way. He earned his own living. He had a tent-making business. You see that there from Acts 20, verses 33 to 35 that's up there on the screen. As we come to the end of that book of Acts, he talks with the elders who were at Ephesus in a different moment, in a different time, and he shares with them just how he lived and how he acted when he was with them. And what we read about here for Paul's lifestyle is pretty unique in Paul's day. Pretty unique for a lifestyle like that. Because it would have been so easy for Paul to gather round about him, a group of disciples, and he would have gone into the, into the lecture courts and into the temples and things like that, and he would have preached and he would have asked for money. That's what many of the disciples and many of those who were in leadership in that day used to do. They would get their disciples to ask for money to help them live their life. But Paul was not in this work for the benefit of himself, but for the benefit of others and what God wanted to do in other people's lives. Preachers come and preachers go here, I'm sure. And lots of them, I can tell you, don't really want to be up the front. Don't want to be sharing the good news of the gospel because they find it just a wee bit apprehensive, a wee bit scared, a wee bit nervous. But the reason I stand in front of you this morning is to say that God wants to change your life. God wants to do miracles in your life. He wants to work in your life in some way or another. So Paul preached and he adapted his lifestyle to those he lived with. But one thing we need to note is that he kept the message the same. He kept the message the same. Whatever our situation, whatever our culture, the message remains the same. 
Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And to see people's lives radically change through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that's what made Paul tick. That's what makes people who are Christians tick, is to see their lives transformed, to see their families transformed, to see their children transformed. That's what the leadership in this church wants, to believe and to live out the unchanging message of the gospel and to see it touch your life, to see it touch my life, to see people's lives transformed. Paul was not in this for converts. He was in it for disciples. He taught, he warned, he encouraged, he cared for the people. And because of that, the word of God spread. People got excited. People became enthused about what God wanted to do in their lives. Look at verse 11, which will come up there next on the screen. Because in this little section of scripture, we read of something else that was happening. We read of miracles that was happening. Verse 11 says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. It's quite a remarkable little bit of scripture that we have just read this morning. And at times it's hard to understand all that was going on in Ephesus in these days. But there is something worth pointing out from these two little verses that were read this morning. First, notice that it is God who is at work here. It is God who is at work. Nobody else. God is number one and he is at work. It was God who was doing the extraordinary works through Paul. It wasn't Paul who was performing these miracles. Don't lose that thought. Don't lose that thought. It was God who was in full control of all that was going on here. And we need to be careful in this life and in the culture in which we live not to elevate the individual who God uses above that of God who is fully sovereign in the world in which we live. You and I will know that when we put anything before and above God, the Bible calls that idolatry. Idolatry, God desires and wants to be number one in your life. And it's so easy to do. So easy to put others in front of God and to rely on our own strength and our own gifts and our own things that we're good at. God is the everlasting one. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And these verses tell us very clearly that God did. God did extraordinary miracles. Secondly, notice the text tells us the type of miracles happening here. They are described by Luke as extraordinary miracles. Not just ordinary miracles but extraordinary miracles and what seems to be happening here i think were events out with the ordinary and i suppose that beckons the question as i thought about this just over these last few days or so what is an what is an ordinary miracle what is an ordinary miracle if what was going on here was extraordinary miracles you ever wondered how your body works how it can heal itself, how it functions day after day after day. Ever wondered about the universe in which we live, the vast universe in which we live and how it sustains itself and how it just seems to be so perfect with the planets, the stars, the sun, the moon, everything in it. Ever thought about how you came about? New life, how life comes, goes through and everything starts again. Springtime, things flourish, things bud, things come back again. It's absolutely amazing. And if some way we can think of these big things that we've just spoken about there, 
as ordinary miracles that go on every day in our world and in our lives, then what's happening here seems to be something way above that, something way above the ordinary. Maybe something that's happening here from this little passage is a a one-off. It's one-off extraordinary miracles for a particular people at a particular time. We know what Ephesus was like. It was so in depth of the magic arts, of the paranormal, of magicians and all of that. And maybe God was speaking an extraordinary way in an extraordinary time for an extraordinary people and situation that he found himself in. You know, the God that we serve and share about this morning is way above, way above anything we could ever imagine or think about this morning. And that same God who goes way above all of these extraordinary miracles that we read in his word, in his word desires to sit with you, to talk with you, to have a relationship with you. And as you think about that, that blows me away. That the God who can do extraordinary miracles wants to come alongside and do things in our lives and work in our lives and change our lives. It's just amazing. We have a powerful and sovereign God who is able to do things that we just cannot understand and make sense of at times. But that's why God is God. That's up to God how he lives and how he does and what he does in our situations. He can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. And the people saw this. And they were obviously saw what was going on in Paul's life and how he was living his life in Ephesus. A life utterly dependent on God. I wonder as you leave church today and as I leave church and jump in a car and go back to a different environment and a different culture, I wonder if people can see in you and see in me God. Can they see something of God in your life, in your daily life every day? Whether it's in school, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in family life, wherever it may be, wherever you go with your feet today, will God be seen? Will the flavor of Jesus be left? That's a big challenge. And for people in Ephesus, they saw something about Paul that was different. They saw something about Jesus that was different, something about God was going on in those days. And the people being people did whatever they could to see if anything from Paul, anything about Paul would rub off on them. They wanted what Paul had. And in God's amazing grace, and in God's amazing way, he allowed it to happen. He allowed aprons. He allowed handkerchiefs that had touched Paul to go into the community. And people were touching them and doing things with them. And they were cured and they were healed from miraculous things. The people wanted anything connected with Paul and this great, powerful message that Paul had. And it was used by God in a remarkable and an amazing way. But it was used by God to demonstrate the power of God over all the things that were going on in that culture and in that environment and how so many people were immersed in the supernatural. Could God have done all these things through Paul if Paul wasn't so utterly committed, utterly devoted to him? Well, I suppose that's the million-pound question, is it? If Paul was like me, would God still have worked in that way, in that remarkable and uh, unbelievable way? Well, we don't know the answer to that. But one thing I'm sure of this morning is that God desires to work in and through people who trust and put their faith in him. People who love and obey his commands. Let's have the next slide up. 
firm. Paul was utterly committed. Go back a slide, please. To the committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that question that you read up there on the screen is for us all this morning. Preacher included, just how committed are we? Just how open am I, are you, for God to use? When was the last time you got out of bed in the morning and asked God to come alongside you, to come into your life, and to use you in the day that you're about to go in? It's very easy. I know it's very easy to go through the day and to live it without God. You've done it, and I have done it. And God is looking for a people who are committed, a people who rely on him, a people who really want him in their lives so that it would allow him to direct and win the battles that we're about to face in life. And that takes us to our last little point that will come up there on the screen. We see the word of the Lord spreading by understanding the culture we live in. We see the word of the Lord spreading because people were utterly committed to God and his work. And the final point that comes from this little passage is that we see the word of the Lord spreading because people knew that there was a spiritual battle to be won. You know, in the passage that we read earlier, we read of the story of a group of men who tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And in a sense, they were using the name of Jesus secondhand. They didn't know Jesus for themselves personally, but they thought they could use his name just as Paul and other disciples were using his name. And I wonder what comes to your mind this morning when you think of magic. What comes to your mind when you think of that word magic this morning? As I thought about it, I wrote down things like TV shows, um, like Britain's Got Talent. There was loads of magic illusionists on Britain's Got Talent this year. I think of people like David Blaine's. I think of people like Paul Daniels, Paul Daniels, who you will all know this morning. And I think about my own culture and my own situation I find in Lanarkshire. And as I go around my daily life, and as you go around your daily life here, you will see, as I have seen in my culture, adverts for tarot reading. I've seen adverts for spiritualist fairs. Uh, I've seen adverts and things on papers for people who want to tell you your future. I just need to open the daily papers and you have people who would read horoscopes from when they were born and different times of the year and things like that. My friends, this morning, as I thought about this and what to say to you, the paranormal is real and the paranormal is dangerous. Keep away from it. That's all that I'm going to say in that back this morning is that it's real and that it's dangerous and you must must do your best to stay away from it go near, nowhere near it and as we read this little example that Luke writes for us we would see that the spiritual world know all about Jesus the demon in this man says I know Jesus and I know Paul and the reason that he knew Paul was because Paul was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these other people who were using his name secondhand had no relationship with Jesus, no relationship with Paul. They knew the future, and they knew the one who controls the future. And you and I know this morning that God is fully sovereign. He is the one, the creator of heaven and earth. Why go elsewhere for these things when you can come to the living and true God and experience life, life in all its fullness, as John tells us in John 10, verse 10. Look at John Deuteronomy. There's a little verse going to come up there, 18 verses 9 to 12. 
And that there is a warning in the Old Testament about staying away from things that you shouldn't get involved in. As you scan it and as you read it this morning, take it on board. This is God's word speaking into your life and into my life this morning. But as we read further down the passage, it does seem that some of those things were in the lives of people in the church. Verse 18, that will be on the screen in a little moment there as well. Um, we read that many of those who had believed came and sought repentance for what they were involved in. Radical change is about to happen in church. That's what was about to happen in the life of this little house church that was in Ephesus. And it seems that some of those in church had not fully turned their back on their previous way of life. These people had believed a number of months, a number of years ago. They were Christian people. But they hadn't fully, or some of them hadn't fully given everything, every compartment of their life over to Jesus. And as they experienced the reality of the spiritual battle and the power of Jesus over it, they took a massive step of faith. They took a massive step forward in their understanding of who Jesus was and the power of Jesus and his control over the world in which we live. Their faith in Christ went to a completely new level. Note what they did from the little passage that we've gone in front of us. They openly confessed what they had done. Now, if you're anything like me, to openly confess things in your life that are not right is hard. And it's difficult. And we shy away from it. We don't want people to know the things that are going on in our lives. Never mind openly confess them in church like this. They also demonstrated that change verbally. Um, but they also took some costly actions as well, as we've read. Only. Uh, we read that they burned their magic books and their scrolls, which were valued somewhere in the region of a few million pounds in today's money. And the question that came to me last week is a question that will come up there on the screen for us now. What about me and you? Let's cut to the chase this morning and answer that question that you find up there on the screen. What needs confessed? What needs removed from your life, from my life this morning? What's in our lives that we have not fully given to Christ? And I know from experience and from life that there will be areas of your life that you never want other people to know about. Thoughts, actions, places you've visited, motives, you name it, is in your life. And it's in my life too, because we're sinful people. God made us perfect, but sin came into the world and marred that. And we are sinful people this morning. What is it maybe that you've got in your home that just shouldn't be there? Books, magazines, DVDs, subscriptions, the likes. We may be believers today and we may be truly saved but there might be something in your life and in my life that's holding you back, that's stopping you taking a step forward in faith and in trust and in a work that God wants to do in your life today. May we have the courage and the commitment to see that Jesus is way beyond anything, anything we could ever have in our past or in our present. He has the power and a desire to bring out radical change in your life this morning. And even if you sit in church this morning as a Christian, and you're being kind of pranged a little bit in your conscience about something that's there that shouldn't be there, what about you in church this morning who have never, ever trusted Christ as your Savior? 
You know who you are this morning. You come to church, and maybe you come to church on the power of family, or the power of second-hand faith, or something like that. You're here because of someone else this morning. You've tried to live the Christian life second-hand. Well, you know, no matter who we are this morning, God wants to do a work in your life. If you're saved, he wants you to get rid of things that aren't there. And if you aren't saved this morning, he wants to put you on that journey where your sins will be forgiven. We sang about it earlier, didn't we? Sins that are red to a life that becomes white, cleansed by God and the work that he did on the cross. There's a spiritual battle to be won in all our lives this morning. And the rewards, the rewards are immense for each one of us today. And that takes me back to verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread. And my hope and prayer today in this little remarkable and quite difficult portion of scripture for you is that you, one, you know your environment. Two, you become more and more fully committed to Jesus. And three, you engage in the battle with Jesus as the one who will win that battle on your behalf. Let me pray just as we hand back to Keith for a, a closing song this morning. Father, thank you for bringing us to church this morning. Thank you for the message that you have given us over this last week or so to be shared this morning. And as I've driven down this morning, I've come with trepidation and fear because I've never preached on anything like this before. And we come and we commit it to you. We pray for your blessing and for your power and for the work of the Holy Spirit to be amongst us all this morning as we think of who you are, for what you've done, and for what you continue to do in our lives and in our church. Father, give us ears that hear. Give us eyes that will see this morning the greatness, the majesty, the just amazing work of God in sending Jesus this morning. And to know that this Jesus wants to be our Lord, wants to be our Savior, wants to be our friend, wants to work in our lives, wants to forgive us things that just shouldn't be there in our life. It's remarkable. Give us that courage. Give us that emotion. Give us that help this morning in the Holy Spirit, we pray, just to take that next little step forward, we ask. Lord, bless us each and every one of us in church this morning, from the young ones through in Sunday school to us through here in church. Bless us, encourage us, and keep us safe as we head home now, where we give our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.